please pray with me one more time as we go before the throne of grace. Father, make what we just sang a reality in our hearts. Don't let it just simply be lip service. Convict us, prod us, make us uncomfortable. We need it as your children. Precisely because we're prone to wander, we're prone to forget the gospel. Connect our head and our hearts once again. Let us live out this active faith because we've come to you by faith and that faith wasn't even ours. You gave it. And so we want to give it back and render it back to you as, as a service that we may, our lives may be a sweet aroma. So may you be pleased to do that and accomplish that, not through my opinion, not through my words, but through your infallible word. May Christ be exalted, not just in this church, but first and foremost in the heart of every person here this morning. Help us to regain the high view of God. We will never have a high view of the church until we have a high view of you. For you are the one, Lord Jesus, that shed your blood on the cross for your bride, the church, whom the gates of hell will not prevail against. And that is why we as a church want to come together to worship your holy name as we heard this morning, to bless your name, that you may be exalted always and forever. And we ask this in the precious and blessed name of our Lord and our Savior the one and only, the Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm sure many of you, at some point in your, in your life, have maybe said certain words or maybe thought these words, but you've uttered them, perhaps. And I'll read them to you. If it's you, you might be familiar with them. Lord, Reignite my heart to worship you and serve you. This idea of reigniting, right? Because this flame is kind of growing dimmer and dimmer. Maybe you haven't said it. Maybe you said, I don't feel passionate about the things of God anymore, as I did when I first confessed Christ as Lord. Maybe you put it in this form. I remember when I used to be on fire for the Lord. But now I barely read my Bible or even pray or fellowship. Sound familiar? Maybe you have felt like, and again, again, this is not just you. I've been here. I feel like I am just going through the motions. Does this resonate with you? You know that in some level you have this spiritual stagnation upon you. You're coming like that, 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 that puddle of water that's just not moving. There's nothing flowing. It's just stagnant there. It doesn't do anything. Then we want to be active. And you know in your heart you want to serve the Lord. You know you've been called to serve. It's not that you're not aware of that. You know it. problem is you're not doing it. And so my, my heart here this morning is not to give you three things to go ahead and reactivate your faith. That's not what I'm here to do. That if you do these three things or four things, you'll be right on track. No. It's something deeper that needs to happen up here and in our hearts. And that's the gospel. 
right? So we have to take a look at that. And where, where can we go? I have Hebrews 12 this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, which many of you might be familiar with, it's right post this, um, this uh, hall of faith, if you will, right, of, of Hebrews 11, where all these names are mentioned, these examples are given, and we'll, and we'll tackle them here in a second. But the imagery that we get here this morning in Hebrews 12 is this idea of running, this idea of, of a race. How many of you like to run? Man, we have a sedentary church. That's good. <laughs> Look, I'm in the same boat with you. I don't like to run. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't. Um, I've said it before. You give me a soccer game. You give me a basketball game. I can play a couple of games because it feels like I'm running or at least being active with a purpose rather than just simply running down a street right, and avoiding Miami traffic and getting hit by a car at some point, or running at least with a vest. I know Edwin runs, uh, walks with a vest, um, those high visibility vests, you know, because nowadays you have to. You don't know who's distracted, right? And, and you would think running is rather simple. I mean, you're doing this. I mean, kids in kindergarten are, are doing this. They're taught to run. You think, okay, this is pretty simple. But when you actually start trying to do it, it doesn't seem like it is anymore. Right? I recently, well, not recently, some time ago, some years ago, tried and I don't know, somebody gave me the bright idea of, hey, Freddie, let's go do a Disney run, you know, a half marathon. Can we sign up? And my wife is like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. So anyway, I signed up for it. Point is, I didn't end up training for it. For whatever reason, I didn't end up training. Things got complicated. I didn't train, but I had signed up for it, so now I'm doing this. It was a half marathon. I did half of the half. Okay? <laughs> so... In other words, I only did six miles without any training. So I was even proud that I accomplished that until I started cramping. And then I was just walking with my tight, you know, calves all the way and the, and the little golf cart behind me saying, hey, if you don't speed it up, we're going to pick you up. So, it, it, you, and you realize that's why they have these books, which is from couch to 5K, how to go from the couch, or for your cases, the pew and your seats, to a 5K. How do you go from that, Right? But now how does that translate to us spiritually speaking? How do you go from this stagnation that you're aware of to being active in your faith? Not because I I don't care about it. I know you guys care. Because you care about the Savior, right? But I'm still struggling doing it. And so that's what I want to be able to um, deal with that here this morning. This idea of endurance because there is a, a race to be run, but we need endurance. And where do I obtain endurance? And we're going to discuss that here a little bit more. So, to kind of summarize, your faith, beloved, is not just a cerebral faith. No more than me trying to run a marathon in my head. I'm not going to get a medal. I'm not going to go to a judge and say, hey, at the end, it's like, hey, but I completed it. Really, where'd you complete it? I did it in my head. But but we all know that in our faith, we all want to go and hear, job well done, good and faithful servant. Show me what you did. What did you do with your faith? 
And that's where, and I'm not here to impose a burden because the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. But we ought to challenge and really take true inventory. Lord, search my heart and know me. See if there's any wicked way in me. And that is not just something that you should have said the moment you came to Christ. That's something we should say daily. Lord, expose my heart. There's areas in my life that I don't want you to have access to. But I know you need to have access there. And it's hindering my faith. It's hindering my activity. What are those things? I don't know because I'm not the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is faithful enough to go ahead and do that work in you if you seek Him. right? So Hebrews 12, going, going to our passage here this morning. Spiritual stagnation is not just... Uh, it, it is a spiritual reality that has to be countered and not ignored. Spiritual stagnation is a reality that, can't, that has to be countered. It has to be dealt with, in other words. Not just simply ignored. It's not going to go away by you ignoring it. And you're not just going to wake up one morning and think the Lord just waved that wand, that spiritual wand, to go ahead and, hey, you know what? I should be serving in the church today. It's not going to happen. There has to be a process. So Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says the following. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which, so, which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And I get it. That's, that, and this is the reading of the Lord, and I get it. Some of you might be jaded. Some of you might be burnt out. That's a reality. It's unfortunate that it happens in God's, in God's church, but it happens. So we need to deal with it. Spiritual stagnation, my point, my first point, spiritual stagnation is countered by historical evidence in verse 1a. And then spiritual stagnation, point two, is spiritual stagnation is countered by spiritual discipline, 1b. And then we get into verses 2 and 3, where spiritual stagnation is ultimately countered by the gospel. Okay? So let us look here, verse, uh, verse 1a. Spiritual stagnation is countered by historical evidence. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, see the therefore that you see is a connector. And we know that. You guys have heard it. It's not something new. It's like, oh, therefore, okay, it's connecting something. What is it connecting? It's connecting uh, chapter 11. But what is chapter 11 connected to? The end of chapter 10. It's all one passage. Because the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us something. And it begins in verse 36 of chapter 10. It says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And right after that, what does he go into? Chapter 11. All the examples that we get of people that by faith waited on the promise, looked to the promise. 
That's what he's connecting. That is what he's telling us. That is what we, can, we get to look back historically and say, Beloved, I know sometimes it seems like, like a game. Perhaps it feels like, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm driving and I'm just thinking, what if? What if this isn't real? What if someone just, I just believe something that there's really no foundation. Really, God doesn't exist. Have you ever had those thoughts? I've had them. I still have them. But then I, how do I get out of that? I can do one or two things. I can keep on down that tunnel and go into a complete downward spiral and lose all hope and go into despair. Or I can look to others that have run, that have looked, that have trusted. And that's what I have to do. Because I'm like, I'm not alone in this game. I'm not alone in this, in this race, in other words. There's others that are on this path with me. And that is one thing that we, one thing that we can do is we can look to Scripture and say, there's people here that God has taken the, the time to go ahead and preserve for us. You can look to Abel. You can look to Abraham. You can look to Sarah. You can look to Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and so on and so forth. Because they're reminders just like they looked by faith, so can you. So can we. And they weren't, it's not like they saw God. In certain circumstances, yes, there was communication. But ultimately, it's by faith. Just like they looked toward the promise, what are we looking back to? That what Christ said He's, he's, he's going to do. He is going to come back for us. I'm trusting that by faith. So we can, we can do that. In, 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 even in chapter 10, verses 32 and 39, what more shall we say? For time would fail me. The writer of Hebrews is saying this, time would fail me. There isn't sufficient time to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, and all these, though commanded for their faith, did not receive what was promised. You see what's happening there? We're looking by faith. And the Lord may tarry. So what does that mean? Will He find faithful people here? Will His children be faithful? Because, beloved, un- unless you know something that I don't, you don't know the hour of the day. And neither do I. And if you don't know the hour of the day, what does that mean for you? more time to sit there with my hands folded and twiddle my thumbs? Yeah, I want the Lord to come. Praise the Lord. Of course I want the Lord to come. Lord, yes, take me home. I want to be with you. But while you have me here, let me be useful to you. I don't want these hands and these, re- this redeemed, these redeemed members of my body to sit idle. I want them to work for you. What you saw there on that screen in Haiti is people working for the kingdom. That is fruit of people's faithfulness. You can look to Scripture and be reminded, and I get it, even those, Abel, Moses, and you can come up with a whole bunch of excuses. Yeah, but I didn't didn't see them either. These are just stories. Fine. But then what do you have to say about Angel Castillo and those working in Haiti? 
They're not doing it in vain. There's other people here I, serving faithfully. I love it. I'm sorry I'm going to use some of you. I always saw Jesus. He became a member not too long ago. You see him sometimes here, running back over there, translating. And I told him, brother, I don't want to burn you out. You know what his response to me was? This is where I need to be. This is what I need to keep doing. That's the heart that we need to have, beloved. Why is he doing it? Just simply to get an applause from the pastor? I can tell you that's not why he's doing it. Or Elizabeth, where are you? There you go. I encourage you, sitting with her Friday at youth group, there next to me, one that we have poured into, who sat in youth group, now serving the next generation. Singing. And does it with joy. Beloved, you don't have to be an Edwin. You don't have to be me or a Dayron and, and go to some seminary to, for the Lord to finally show you A. Because no professor is going to give you what Scripture is going to already telling you today. They might give you better, perhaps, applications, maybe challenge you differently, but at the end of the day, Scripture Scripture. And we have to do it. And so, not only does he talk about these things, he says they're witnesses. Witnesses to what? Testifying about what? Hmm? Testifying about what? About their faith and hope in Jesus the Messiah. And the idea of these cloud of witnesses, yes, think of this amphitheater, right? That's, that's, the, that's the imagery that's being painted. These cloud of witnesses, people standing there in this, in this um, amphitheater, and you get to see them. It's a multitude. There's witnesses all over. There's no excuse for you to say, hmm, yeah, did people really back then? No, there's people. But here's the catch. They are not, and it's easy, this is where the imagery if we're not careful, can go awry. Because as you're Im- imagining and picturing this amphitheater, and all of a sudden, you've been to concerts perhaps in an amphitheater, right? And you've seen the, 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 the fans, the multitude, perhaps you've seen it on YouTube and these videos. And you're saying, okay, well, now you have this cloud of witnesses. What are those fans in an amphitheater doing? They're cheering for the ones on stage, right? And this is where it can go awry. This is what I mean by that. The cloud of witnesses are not, they're not in heaven now looking down on you and on me. Come on, you can do it. Come on, Tony. Come on, just put one foot in front of the other. I did it. You can do it too. That's not what they're doing. You know how I know that? Because Scripture doesn't give us, doesn't tell us that. They don't grow disappointed when all of a sudden I stumble. Because heaven ceases to be heaven. They're in, they're in joy with their Savior. They're enjoying their Savior. But the idea of these cloud of witnesses is that we are reminded of who they testified about, who they awaited for, who they looked to, who they hoped in. And we can look back on them and say, I can too, Lord, help me. Help me to have, to look and trust in Jesus the way they did. That's all I can say. Regarding this part, this is where we need to be careful that your thoughts don't all of a sudden get driven to extra-biblical ideas that are not in Scripture. 
We need to be grounded and we need to be faithful to God's word. We don't find that in scripture, but you can look to them to be reminded. Just like Moses, just like Abraham, I can too, by God's grace. So historical evidence is important to deal with spiritual stagnation, but that's only part of the equation. There's another component to it, and that's why we need action. Because running is an, act, is an activity, right? It is not. See, you're not the only one that deals with this. Um, it's an activity. It is not something that's static. It's dynamic. Our faith is dynamic. And so here he says this. He says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I'm going to start with the last part. The race that is set before us. The race, beloved, is not optional. If you are in Christ, guess what? You're in the race. I don't want to. No, you're in the race. Now what do you do? What do you do? The profession of faith in Christ, the moment you confessed Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, guess what that did? It put you in the race. There are others perhaps here this morning that are still on the sideline. The way you would look in in an Olympic game, if you've ever seen people in the stands waiting and you see those runners lining up, getting ready to get into the race, right? Waiting for that, that gun to go off, to be fired. There's people on the sidelines waiting and perhaps thinking, man, I would love to do that. But I just don't know if I can. If that's you here this morning, it's by faith. It is not but anything that, by anything that I can do for you, but something that someone already did for you. And that's Christ paying it on the cross. That is the hope that we have. And so... If you're in this race, everything thereafter is part of this race. Baptism, this fellowship, what you're doing here is part of the race. And I was debating what I'm going to say, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm, I'm encouraged this morning. I'm encouraged that some of you, despite last night's defeat, right, I'm sorry, Paola. After that night's defeat, it was a late night game. I suspect that some people might, might not even come this morning. And here you guys are. Humbled, but here you are. And so, but this is important. Why are you here this morning? Because there's something more important than the heat. There's someone worth more than the heat. Or any organization on the face of this earth. And that's Christ. That's why we're here. Because though we can enjoy those things, they are not the priority in my life. God is. And that's why we come. And the race, and the word for race, is this Greek word, agona, where guess where you get that, the word agony from? In other words, the illustration of this, of this idea is that the race is uncomfortable. It's agonizing. There are going to be moments in the race well, you're not going to want to run and you're going to want to drop out. Hence, why we see it in verse 3. So you don't grow weary and faint-hearted. Same thing in Galatians, so that you don't grow weary. So you don't grow weary. Because we're prone to grow weary, beloved, in this race. 
You will stumble. You will cramp. You will limp. But you keep moving forward. That's where we have to understand these things. Luke 22, verse 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. That same word for raised of this agony is the same illustration, the same root word that is used when Jesus is there in Gethsemane, and all of a sudden he's sweating, that agonizing moment in the gospel, sweating great drops of love because he knew what awaited him, because the race, the race that had not a finish line for him, but a cross. That's what was agonizing Christ. Let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. So whether you want to accept it or not, the race is set before you, beloved. You're in this race. It's not whether whether you want to do it or not. not, not, That's not the question. The question that we need to ask ourselves is, how are we running? Are we running? Are you running? Or are you kind of paused right now? So how we run matters, and so we deal with this point of endurance. And the translations... Other translations in Scripture you're going to see have perseverance. Both communicate this idea that this race is difficult. The very Greek word, again, agony. It's difficult. But the word endurance adds this other element of time. Something that is difficult over time. Think of a sprinter. Look At a sprinter, it's very different. You train very differently. A sprinter trains very differently than a marathon runner. Their bodies are completely different. They're built differently. And we're going to get to that in a second. But that is exactly the idea that that we we have to train with endurance. Not like me thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to go ahead and run a, a half marathon without any training. Beloved, I didn't have the endurance that it took to finish that half, that, that half marathon. I didn't. So we need to build that endurance. Are we running with that endurance? Or when the, when the going gets tough, we get going, right? We want to go ahead and drop out because now it's uncomfortable. I don't like this. No. Because Christ didn't say, well, I don't like, I don't want to go to the cross. And we're going to get to it, but it was for the joy that was set before him. Beloved, we must run. If we're, going, if we're going, we need to discipline ourselves in doing so. Now, how do we do that? Two things that Scripture gives us here in this passage. The sin that clings so closely. Let's deal with that one first. It's pretty self-explanatory. I don't think I need to tell you, beloved. It, sin, is, sin is sin, and we know we're not to be uh, committing sin against the Holy God. We understand that. And if there's sin in your life right now that you need to cut out and, and you need to deal with, then you need to deal with it. You need to nip it in the bud. There is no like, well, don't try to justify it because you will. You will justify your sin before God. Be careful. Be careful. But that being said, what we need to be aware of here is this idea that, that clings so closely. This idea that Sin surrounds us. By the way, it's the same concept, the same word that is used when we're looking about the great cloud of witnesses. This great cloud of witnesses that surround us, that's exactly the idea here. We have sin that surrounds us. 
Think of, if you, ever, if you like watching uh, the BBC or this uh, Nat Geo and you see this lion that's kind of been isolated, and all of a sudden you see this pack of hyenas, this, they're like there just like picking at the lion. You see, the lion doesn't know what to do. The lion's been isolated. And now you have these hyenas just surrounding the lion little by little. If it's not for that other lion roaring, hearing the roar of this lion, and, and another one hearing and coming and, and, and helping him out, that lion is toast. And we're talking about the king of the jungle. Because, beloved, sin does that. Sin does that. We have to be careful. We have to know where our pitfalls are, beloved. You know, talking with a very dear, dear brother, you know, Dealing with pornography. Yeah. And the solution for that hasn't been fear, but rather trusting in Christ, staying close to Him. If sin is going to cling close to me, then I better cling close to my Savior. Because the moment I start drifting, I'm going <laughs> to... It's just a matter of time. That is what we need to be aware of. Now, the deeper question is, what triggers that dopamine spike? That desire, that rush for dopamine that the pornography does and brings. Is it YouTube? Those YouTube shorts? Is it those TikTok reels, the Instagram reels? Because sometimes you think, oh yeah, I need to cut out pornography, but how are you going to do that? What's, what's leading you there? What's causing, you, causing your mind to start wandering and thinking of those things? Certain places or things that are associated with those kind of things. And you, I don't care if I need to drive three hours and make a detour if that means that I have to avoid every single bar and nightclub along the road there. So what if I have to pay and, and spend an extra 10 gallons of gas a week? So be it. If that's what it takes for me to keep my eye from looking sideways. That is what we're talking about, beloved. That's sin. You have to be ruthless with sin. And I'm not just talking to you like somehow I'm the perfect one. I have to battle these things myself. You hear Edwin coming up here and you're talking about, yeah, you know, you're looking to, you know, you're looking at your neighbor, you're looking at the guy the, at your job driving the nice car and, and having the bigger home and you're thinking, man, you know, you know what I am? This, this is bad. Like, you have people enjoying two Sunday, uh, two weekends, two days. Of, they have Saturday and Sunday to have fun. You know how many days you guys get? One. Saturday. Friday you get home from work, right? Being the traffic, you don't want to do anything. Saturday you just want to rest. And Sunday you're back at church. And that's you guys. Imagine the people that are here serving. They're here that are on the AV and the music team on Saturdays giving their time. Do that for a couple years. It grows on you. But we have to keep faithful. And so that's sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I could have my two, my two weekends like everybody else. But then I remember, Christ is my rest. Not the beach. I'm not going to find more rest laying on the sand of some shore than I am going to get here. 
That's the mentality that we need to have, beloved. Lay aside the sin that so easily clings to us, that so closely clings to us. But then there's another dynamic, which is lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. This one is a little bit more nuanced. This one is not so obvious. What kind of weight are you talking about? Think of it this way. Have you ever looked at those pictures of Babe Ruth with a bat back in the day? Well, sorry. Left-handed. He was also a pitcher, you know. But you ever seen the size of that bat? That bat was humongous. I look at videos from back in the day, Pelé, Maradona, these guys playing. You might as well be playing barefoot with the clunkers that they had on. Those balls were heavy. And they're kicking them around. What has happened over time? They start shredding. If you want to optimize performance, you make the clothing lighter. You make the equipment lighter. Right? The shoes don't retain the water anymore as quickly. Now they just dissipate and now it's, and even weather wicking, right? The, the, those clothing. Now you're, now you're playing and you're like, man, I, I, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm wearing an extra 10 pounds if I'm playing in the rain. No, it's just shredding off. You love it. That's exactly the image that we need to have when we say lay aside every weight. What are the things that are hindering you from being faithful that are keeping you in this stagnation? Let me give you some is it the idea of the perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect father, the perfect mother? I want to give them everything I want, everything that they want, right? And so because of that, you know what? I'm going to take them to Zinzi three times a month instead of coming here and fellowshipping with God's people. See what I mean? Is there anything wrong with going to Disney? No. Is there anything wrong with you doing or going on vacation? No. But the idea is, is this what is keeping you from fellowshipping? Because God didn't put your family like somehow, hey, forget your family and you must be in church all the time because I would, I would tell you, hey, you need to take care of your family as well. But these things are a little bit more nuanced. What about your theological studies? For those of you that are aspiring to go into theology, Oh, yeah, great. I'm, you know, I'm not looking to tell you, no, don't, don't, don't study. No, study. I have a, sometimes I can have reservations if you ask me. Because sometimes you look at academia and it, it could be pretty bad, the stuff that you hear. But they don't make a pastor. They don't make a pastor. They, all they do is simply come out with a certificate that you've taken theological studies and maybe you're better prepared to shepherd. That's all it is. And yes, rightly so. Now you can defend your faith. Maybe you have a little bit more grasp of the Greek and so on and so forth. But here's the, here's the issue. You study God and your knowledge of God that you barely even know who Jesus is. You have all the proper arguments. You have all the proper ways of dissecting the, the Greek and the Hebrew and looking at all these things. And again, I'm not knocking this because Dayron has a has a degree, and I would, I would even tell you, he would even agree with me that you forget who Christ is along the way. Those men that you see building those huts, their theological acumen is very good. Some of the best, and yet 
there they are serving. Living their faith. Fellowship. Love the koinonia. Love the koinonia. Great fellowship. But is your fellowship Saturday night keeping you from coming and gathering with the saints on, on Sunday? Again, nothing wrong with it, right? Fellowship on, on Saturday, good. But don't neglect the gathering of the saints on Sunday. That is a habit of some. Or like I've even shared, you know, even conversations that we have. Sometimes we just want to go ahead and have every conversation outside in the fellowship hall. And yet, what the Lord has called us is to be in here. Not my idea. I didn't write it. He wrote it. Paul instructed Timothy. Jesus even told, remember that scene with Mary and Martha? One of them had chosen rightly to sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, we hear these things and we, may, and we immediately say, Oh, but that's being legalistic. No, it's not. It's not. Because you have time to fellowship. It's not that you weren't given any time to fellowship. As long as you want more of it. But at times, you need to choose at that moment what is better for your soul and your family's soul. Paul wrote this to Timothy. 1 Timothy 4, 13 to 16. And we were actually talking about it here. Um, well, I went and, and until I come, Paul instructing Timothy, a pastor, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by, the, by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Beloved, if he is to devote himself to this, who is he reading to? Who is he teaching? Who is he exhorting? He doesn't need to gather on Sunday to exhort himself because the exhortation is for you and for me. And that happens in this context, beloved. This is why it's so important. Hence why he can say in Hebrews 10, do not neglect the gathering of the brethren. See how it all connects? This is not my opinion. What hinders you from those things? And I'm not, and the context isn't just Sunday morning. It's beyond that. From serving, from doing whatever it is with those gifts and talents, what you've been hearing here uh, being announced. We need people serving. Where are you? How are you using those gifts and those talents? And finally, number three, I'm already over time. You guys can make fun of me later. Um, spiritual stagnation, finally, is ultimately countered by the gospel. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Beloved, that right there is the key. The key is not remove this check mark and check this box off. Even though, yes, you will be doing that at some level, in some way, in some shape or fashion. We all will be doing that. The problem is when you check those boxes as somehow thinking that you've earned God's favor by checking those boxes. But we're still called to check them. Look and consider. Look and consider. In both instances here, the, God, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying one thing. If there's anything that's going to hold your attention, if there's anything that's going to 
tell you, ally yourself with this. This is where your allegiance needs to be. It's Jesus. It's not me. It's not Edwin. It's not Dayron. It's not Victor. It's not your mom. It's not your dad. It's Christ. Does that make sense? Because He's the one that did it. Even Jesus didn't run aimlessly. He ran with a purpose. And I'm not here to tell you, oh, God has a great purpose for your life. Your purpose is to run. And run with everything you can to the cross. That is your purpose. You want to know what your purpose is? That's it right there. Follow Jesus. No turning back, as as, as it was said. Because that's all we do. We want to plow, but we still want to kind of keep looking back. It says, no, you can't do that. You can't plow that way. Keep your eyes on Christ. Fixing. I love it. Looking. Fixing. Some, some of the other translations say, fixing your eyes. The only thing I can think of is for those of you that are married and you remember that moment when you're standing there with your bride. I remember standing in front of my wife and just looking at her. Dude, there could have been explosions going on. There could have been a, a, a robbery going on. And guess what? I wouldn't have cared. I wouldn't have been distracted because my eyes were fixed on my bride. That is the imagery that this scripture passage is giving us. That is how we need to look intently and intentionally at our Savior. That you can have the world falling apart and banks collapsing and markets plummeting but your eyes remain fixed on Jesus. That is where our hope is in. Why? Because he is the author and perfecter of your faith. In other words, without him you have no faith. Without him there's nothing. He is everything. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And the Lord of everything in between. And so we can look to Him with faith, fixing our eyes on Him. The Pope didn't pay for your sins. Muhammad didn't pay for your sins. Buddha didn't pay for your sins. Only one in history paid for the sins of His people, and that was Jesus. That is why you can hold on to him. That is why I don't go into despair. Because I know that in history, only one person loved me enough to die for me. To take my sins at a cross and pay my penalty. So what's the conclusion? Colossians 1. Colossians 1, 15 and 23. And beloved, this is the conclusion and our segue into communion. Because I really don't have anything to add because... This really says it everything. It summarizes everything. I'll read it for you. And as you're, re- as you're listening to this, as you're following along, take this time to understand what we're going to partake of here in a moment, which is the Lord's table. In remembrance. Remembrance of what? 
Let's look what Paul wrote to the Colossians. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. You and I don't find our names at the center of this story. It's Jesus. And He, Jesus, is before all things. And in Him, Jesus, all things hold together. And He, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He, Jesus, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven or making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, that's us, doing evil deeds, not going unnoticed by God, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If you indeed continue in the faith, continue running, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, not believing another gospel, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. That was the heart of Paul. He said, I wish that you guys were like me except for these chains. That you would come to know this Christ except for these chains. You've been been blessed, beloved, if you're in Christ. Now run. Run. Run this race with joy. Don't fear the spiritual stagnation. That's why we have grace. That's why the Lord gives us a new sheet to start over. I messed up this one. Here you go. Start over. Keep going. The amazing thing about grace is that He doesn't tell me go back to the starting line. No. Where you picked up, keep going. Repent, get up, and keep moving. But always moving to the cross always moving to our Savior. Amen.